Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 58 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Present. <laughs> I'm doing well. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, especially after you had to dart off last time in the middle of the show. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Oh, not a problem. It was kind of fun finishing up solo. Made sure got out, got done in time. Which I think was like right on time for a change. Oh, okay. So it was my fault for making the previous <laughs> podcast as long as they have been, is what you're saying. No. This is a case of I kind of screwed up and actually accidentally stuck one too many stories in there. So yeah. I was trying to... <laughs> get through them as quick as I could. But anyway, just a couple of quick things before we get going tonight. Um, first of all, thanks a whole for a whole lot of nothing for everybody who did not send ideas for the show. <laughs> um, we got, I think I got feedback from like one, maybe two people, which seemed a little strange considering the amount of listeners, was back up again last week. So I'm totally confused. I don't know if you guys love the show, hate the show, what's going on. So, somebody please let me know. And also, while I'm thinking about it, don't forget that you can follow along on these show notes at globalgeeknews.com And I do have an, a big announcement that I want to go ahead and get out of the way. And that's that I am bringing back the Geek News Daily podcast as of March 22nd. That would be Monday after next. I've been wanting to bring it back for, I don't know how many months. I just haven't really had the time, but it looks like things are kind of going to finally calm down a little bit after I get done with Mix next week. So I figured, well, now's as good a time as any to get the show fired back up, so... As of the 22nd, you will be able to find the Geek News Daily podcast at geeknewsdaily.com. And I think that's it in terms of announcement, announcements. Don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, where I broke a big story this morning, which will be our first story, and we'll talk about that in a second. But all of this week, I will be posting a bunch of different posts regarding my trip to Microsoft, um, something I meant to kind of get done a month ago, but life has been a little on the hectic and complicated side, so it's never gotten done, but something I need to get done before the trip to Mix next week, because basically pretty much all of next week is going to be dedicated entirely to Mix coverage, and that's where you'll fi- you should be able to find most of that coverage, and don't forget, we, as far as I, unless something changes, there won't be a show next week, because... I will be at Mix, Wesley will be at South by Southwest, and I don't have a clue what my bandwidth situation and stuff is going to be like at the hotel. I've never been to Mandalay Bay, so I'm not quite sure what I'm in for. Yeah, and I don't know my bandwidth as far as consciousness, (laughs) whether I'll be awake or not. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a feeling I've got a pretty full schedule ahead of me, so I'm not sure how awake I'll be. I'm not looking forward to the flight on Sunday morning. It wasn't going to be too bad because I'm flying out of Pueblo, so it's not like I have to drive two hours to Denver like in most cases. But then I realized that Sunday night is, or Sunday morning or whatever you want to call it, is when we set our clocks forward. 
So I lose an extra uh, hour of sleep even after I'm waking up several hours early so I can get to the airport in time. Oh, suckage. That sucks for me, too. Yeah. I didn't really want to know that the, that we jumped forward this week, but now everybody knows, so... But anyway, I, don't know, I was hoping to maybe do some shows or just do some audio stuff or whatever, or maybe even some video stuff from Mix, but I don't know. I, I need to look into some kind of like a portable podcast setup. Right now I don't have much of anything for doing that, at, at least if I wanted to have um, more than just myself on the show, which if anybody who listens to the show happens to have suggestions for portable podcast gear for having multiple people on, I am open to your suggestions. But anyway, like I was talking about, breaking some major news on the blog today, go ahead and jump right into our first story, which was that Amazon has terminated all Colorado-based associates over the new taxes that got signed into law by our idiot governor last week. Yeah, so if uh, if businesses start doing this left and right, especially internet businesses, um, their affiliation with the state, um, they could lose a lot of revenue. Um, just as some state have reversed their tax law um, to help encourage businesses like you know like uh, South Dakota, uh, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and all these mega places where a lot of businesses set up because of this. This is going to be just the total opposite. Yeah, uh, there's been, I think there's like four other states that have similar laws. And basically what this law states is effectively if you have affiliates or that give you, that send you sales in the state that constitutes a physical presence, therefore you must collect taxes on the sales. Uh So just like has happened in all the other states where these laws have been passed, They've Amazon has basically said, screw you, we'll just terminate all of our affiliates in the state. Right. Which I believe there's been a couple of states that have backed off the taxes, and I've basically spent all my entire day trying to get all the local news outlets to cover it, any blog or whatever that I can come up with on the internet to cover it, to try and raise some awareness, to maybe put some pressure on the legislature to get rid of these new taxes so that I can become an affiliate again. Yeah, this is the carrot and the stick approach with no carrot and only a stick. So it only hurts people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It hurts the people operating businesses. It hurts uh, the constituency because of businesses pulling out and they will no longer be able to uh, use their services like for Amazon as companies pull out because of this law. So it, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, and I think it does the opposite, uh, which is uh, decrease revenue. Uh, what they should do is try to encourage companies to move to the state, not businesses to leave. Yeah, as, not long after I posted this, um, I had heard from several other people saying that it's really going to hurt them. Uh, Almost immediately after I posted the story to Reddit, someone on there said that they were their real their business is really going to be hurt by the by this, and they're looking into reincorporating in another state just because of this. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely going to hurt a lot of people. And as far as the governor is concerned, too bad. It, 
didn't wish that Amazon would do this, but he doesn't seem willing to budge at all. But then again, the man nearly kills himself riding a bicycle and just got out of the hospital yesterday because he cracked four ribs. Yeah, the only way that this would work is if for some reason all and every state passed laws like this within a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some other states that are looking into this, but there's, uh, I believe there's three other, three or four other states that have enacted similar laws. Uh, I guess three, New York, North Carolina, and Rhode Island, where this has basically caused the same issue. And I believe California, Illinois, Iowa, Maryland, New Mexico, Vermont, and Virginia are ones that have similar legislation pending. And uh, I guess from the sounds of it, um, not long after I posted it, I got contacted by... uh, CNET? Declan McCullough at CNET about this, and they went and did a whole lot more legwork than I did, and I guess they heard from congressmen and stuff about it, and I guess from the sounds of it, this is all the other states that are looking at this legislation are kind of watching Colorado to see kind of how this plays out, because after this kind of broke today, or I broke it, I should say, there was... um, Oh, I'm trying to think of his name. Greg Broffrey, or I guess is his name. Um, okay. Yeah, um, anyway, a the Greg Broffrey, who's a, a, I guess, a Republican state senator and assistant minority leader for in Colorado, is apparently working or is talking with Democratic leadership today about trying to have an emergency repeal of the measure but supposedly he said that he doesn't hold out a lot of hope for it. So uh, hopefully something will get done. That's why I've kind of spent my entire day working on trying to get the local media to cover this and everything to see if we can try and get some pressure put on the legislation. But the one local station that I've gotten to to run the story so far kind of basically gave it all of about 30 seconds, didn't really explain a whole lot of anything, because they were more concerned about a power pole that fell next to the interstate and some lady that got murdered at a laundromat or something like that. Yeah, this is a striking, I would say, precedent. But as you said, a lot of states in New England have have this um, already enacted. Uh, but yeah, this could change the lands- landscape of how to do business over the internet going forward in many locations. Mm-hmm. Well, what gets me is it's like, okay, by doing these affiliate sales, we're essentially taking, I don't know, between 4 and 10% or 15% or whatever it is that Amazon offers away from Washington, which is where Amazon is based, and keeping it here in the state. But instead, they decided, okay, we're going to tax it, and then now this completely goes away as to where now the money doesn't even stay in the state. It goes all to Washington now. It's like nobody seems to have thought this through at all. Yeah. But well, the, the, uh, let's see how hard it hurts and how much revenue they gain and uh, see if it's worth it. 
I guess I'm sorry for you guys there who are who are you know suffering under this. Maybe uh, you should move to Texas. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for anybody who wants to take up pitchforks and head to the Capitol. <laughs> don't don't forget uh, torches. You need torches too. Yeah, I want to roast the governor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, on with the next story. Speaking of idiotic things. Apparently, the music business is hoping to end piracy by tempting ISPs with millions of dollars. Yeah, and the scary thing that this actually might work. I'm not saying be effective, but they might get more under their belt with uh, with with this strategy. Yeah, it seems like their numbers are really out of whack. Apparently, this is coming primarily out of Europe, where um, Universal Music and some of the others are looking at trying to get the ISPs to basically become um, sellers of music, basically to compete with like iTunes and stuff like that. And if they can get people, get the ISPs to become a music retailer, they think that they can get more people to go towards that and away from piracy. And basically they kind of want to make an agreement with the ISPs by essentially giving the ISPs millions of dollars to change their terms of service to basically say, oh, if you're accused of piracy, boom, your account's gone. This kind of reminds me of uh, Canada with their recorded medium media that mm-hmm. uh, like some of it goes towards piracy. And so that uh, gives people the feeling that they are now paying for all the music and they can go ahead and pirate as much as they want. Um, same thing if they start bundling music with internet service, people would just not just get used to it coming with it mm-hmm. and um, thinking that music is now free and it just loses its value. Well, one of the strange things about this is the way they, they're kind of aiming for this to be, it's not a kind of a case of fill up your iPod with all the music you want. It's more of a case of you can stream music and that's, pretty much it and there's Ah. with limited download options but it's basically for streaming more than anything else so it's not portable and you don't have the same rights right interesting yeah so it's basically ooh, we found another way to screw people but the numbers that they come up with are a little on the crazy side they're basically saying that if isps do this they'll be able to get essentially 41% of the total of what was the total 2009 digital music market by making them, I guess, putting them in front of people that immediately make, gives them 41% of the market, which to get that many people to convert like that, I don't think that'll ever happen. Yeah, that's... And supposedly that's the medium adoption scenario, right. which would give them... 103 million um, pounds or euros or whatever this is in, uh, pounds, I guess. But if there's an accelerated adoption scenario, then they could get double that. Yeah. It sounds like it's using um, uh, using RIAA math. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And they're, and they're using it, and they've got this figure that they've just pulled out of the air that there's nothing behind or anything. Basically, they're saying that this is going to help reduce churn 
for the ISPs. So if they if the ISPs have these contracts with with the RIAA or whatever the um, equivalent is over there, I can't think about the UK if it's it, FP it, or it, whatever. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Basically, they're saying that it'll reduce churn by 10%. There's nothing to support that information whatsoever. That's just kind of the number that they're spouting for the heck of it. It's a, yeah, it's the math. I, I, I would love for ISPs to be able to get that in writing as a contract before entering into such an agreement with guaranteed revenues uh, based on these estimates. And then let's see who's going to be suing who. Yeah, they're they're basically pacing, pitching it to Virgin Media, Sky, BT, O2, Orange, and Talk Talk, and Talk Talk has already said that they want absolutely nothing to do with this idiotic idea, and so far I haven't heard anything more from about what the other company's stance on it is. Yeah, but in a down economy, I think this is very attractive and it's hard to turn down, especially uh, when people are looking for new sources of revenue, especially cable companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think it can work. I think it's very attractive. Uh, I think it'll work as in they'll probably get uh, ISPs enrolled, but I don't think it'll be effective long-term strategy uh, because these numbers are not realistic at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing behind these numbers. They just kind of came up with them and, say, oh, and said, oh, hey, you can make millions of dollars. Sounds like one of those scams I get in my email all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for this, and Bill Gates will give you a quarter for every person who reads it. Yeah. But speaking of idiotic ideas that have that screw the consumer, like we predicted last week, Ubisoft's authentication has screwed their customers. Yes, royally. Good-paying customers. Assassin's Creed 2 uh, basically couldn't be played because the DRM server to authenticate uh, users failed. Yeah, apparently around 8 a.m. GMT, the uh, the DRM authentication servers that you have to connect to to be able to play them, play the game because it's an all, always online kind of thing, just kind of went offline for some reason. And as far as Ubisoft was concerned, it was I don't even I don't know if they're still on if they've got them back online yet or not. From what I heard, they were. It was just kind of a case of, oh, they're down. Okay, well, thanks for letting us know. We'll look into it on Monday. Yeah. So with any company, if you're familiar with a company who manages servers, um, they always plan for uh, the medium amount of traffic, and they always poorly plan for spikes. So if any one time, all or a majority of the users all turn on their systems or all start to play a game, especially like the the opening uh, few weeks of a game or anything related to that that might spur uh, any kind of spike. Or as it grows in popularity, uh, the servers have to grow with it, and they have to uh, they have to plan for that kind of capacity and have a good guard band to make sure that they don't ever uh, spike it. So. Uh, with the with the way that they approach the situation, I believe that's the fact that they just have poorly planned and they uh, the servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said before, as new games come online that use the same technology, we'll see this more and more and more and more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see which game is going to get bit by this next, because I know there's several coming out that use a similar thing. I know, I believe Command & Conquer 4 is supposed to be one of them that comes out here in the next couple of weeks, which is one of a mountain of reasons why I won't why this will be the first Command & Conquer game I don't buy. But uh, what really is, I find to be kind of funny about the whole thing, is 24 hours after the game came out, the DRM was cracked. So mm-hmm. all along, the hackers have been able to play, even though the people who actually bought the game couldn't play. Yep. Because um, overly strict DRM only hurts the people who try to play by the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd, you'd think they'd learn by now, but apparently smart people don't run companies. Yeah. Like, uh, look at all these music sites that went DRM-free. Uh, I haven't heard anything about music uh, iTunes sales going declining. Have mm-hmm. you? No. Yeah. And as far as I know, if they're at a faster pace than ever. They just sold their 10 billionth song, what was it, week before last? Yeah, Johnny Cash, was it, right? Uh, that I don't know. Yeah, I know Zune was doing something with Johnny Cash, some kind of special thing. I didn't really look into it. I figured maybe it was like a anniversary of Johnny Cash's death or birthday or something like that. I didn't really pay much attention to it. Yeah, so, so we've been DRM-free um, and that seems to be the, the, you know, the way that we're moving towards, as in it's the future. And so more sh- stricter DRM is, is not cool. And it really could be the, the death of Ubisoft, especially when, um, if this tends to be a trend of continually downtime, people saying, hey, I paid for this game. Why am I not uh, compensated for the amount of time I wasn't able to play it? Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me of an infograph, infographic that I saw a few weeks ago that I've been meaning to post myself after it got taken down from where it was originally posted. But it's basically a comparison of how pirates view movies and how regular consumers view movies. Pirates, it was a case of put in the movie, watch the movie. Consumers, uh, it was yeah. put in the movie being forced to watch half a dozen different trailers and commercials and everything. FBI warnings. Yeah, FBI warnings and everything. And there was like two dozen different steps before you could actually watch the movie. Yep. And and the and the worst thing is the commercials in DVDs. I understand trailers are commercials, but other commercials for products in DVDs. Well, that was essentially what made me make the jump from VHS to DVD in the first place. It's because it was getting to the point where there were lots of commercials in VHS, and it was a real pain in the butt to hit and hold on to the fast-forward button for several minutes to get past them. So that's why I went to originally rent to, went to DVDs, because they didn't have the commercials. Now they've got these commercials that you can't even skip past. It's like, okay, from now on, I'm just going to start pirating all the movies. I've never been much of one to pirate movies. I've always been just pretty much a music and TV show kind of guy, but with the way, with as bad as it's getting for ads and trailers and all that garbage before the movie, it, it's not even worth it anymore not to pirate. 
Yeah, it's just it's too hard to play a movie. It's too hard to play a game. A lot of things are too hard. Um, and I, I, let's let's move to the next story. But before we do that, I just want to make one last point. Of since my prediction went so well last week, um, I'm going to go ahead and predict maybe not next week, but in the near future, a possible class action lawsuit because of these downtimes. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good bet. But yeah, speaking of the next story. And other speaking of uh, games that are not fun, <laughs> yeah, other not so great ideas. Apparently, Sony has come up with the brilliant idea that they need to make game demos less fun over time. Apparently, they seem to get people. I might identify as one of these people on occasion that they download the demo for a game and just play the crap out of the demo and never actually buy the game. So they're wanting to make it as to where these demos, which are supposed to be great because they're supposed to be how they sell the game, they're going to try and make it less and less fun over time so that you eventually want to stop playing the demo and go out and buy the game. Right. Didn't they do that with the the PSP? With the PSP Go? Didn't that get uh, less fun over time? No, I think that was just less fun out of the box. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that was immediate. Yeah. Well, at least they have a patent on it, so hopefully no one else would, <laughs> no one else will go against this patent. So they have the patent on making games less fun as they, as the longer you play it. Yeah, the patent's kind of goofy. It basically, they got a couple little diagrams drawn. One that shows where apparently this is maybe like an RPG or maybe like a God of War or something, where it shows you have this big gigantic sword for playing two hours into the demo, playing six hours into the demo, same place, or if you play it over again or whatever, all of a sudden you get this little tiny dagger instead. Yeah. You know, I was just remembering, didn't Sony have a patent for not allowing games to be resold? Mm, Could be, I'm not positive. They had a patent in which games would no longer be sold, but they would be licensed, so trying to kill the reseller market. It was a, quite a while ago, but uh, I think this was close to um, when they had the, the rootkit incident. But, yeah, Sony Sony is... I'm going to say that, that, that they're, not a, they're not a fun company. The, the, you know how Google has Don't Be Evil? I think Sony mm-hmm. might have the opposite motto. Yeah. Whereas Nintendo's policy is milk everything for decades and hope that people don't pay attention to your outdated crap. But anyway, yeah, this is one of those not so wonderful ideas, but hopefully they'll never do anything with it. It's maybe hopefully it'll just be one of those patents they keep on file for the heck of it. But yeah, well, I'm glad they have a patent on it. I hope it gets granted. Yes, yeah. uh, and, and I hope that they're the only ones who making they can make their games less fun. Yeah, well, I have a feeling it's gonna if if this does happen to show up, it's gonna cause a lot more violent gamers. Oh, violence is not good, apparently. At least that's what studies show. Yeah, another one of these idiot studies have come out saying that violent video games lead to violent thought and action. Well, I agree with the study that it does. 
But the question is, is it long-term or short-term? I mean, I've come out of, like, a Rocky movie and, like, yeah, let's go. I, I felt pumped up and ready to fight. But, I mean, that didn't last. And uh, how much of that was actually, like, converted into actual actions? I mean, uh, I've played games where I'm like, shoot him, shoot him. Or, like, fighting games. Like, I remember back in the day with uh, uh, Mortal Kombat or with uh, even Street Fighter, how I felt like, you know, punch, punch, kick, kick. Because that was in the front of my mind. And it moved more to a reactionary um, instead of my deep thought and uh, changing the core of me. So th- this study, it doesn't seem to clarify that. Like, yeah, violent thoughts, but yeah, long-term or not, that's the big question. Yeah, and one of the things that kind of stayed in the article, which seems kind of a little counterintuitive, it's that violent crimes are down. It's like, hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of strange. There's hundreds of millions of people that play video games. And supposedly these video games are leading to violent thoughts and actions, yet crime is down. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, unless people are in their house just having crime against themselves, I don't know what. Yeah, I, it, uh, for as many studies as I've seen that supposedly say, Oh, there's links between violent video games and violent actions or whatever. I've seen studies that say the exact opposite, and I'm guessing we'll see another study in the next week or two that'll come out saying the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah, once again, these are all dependent on how they're read, and um, I think it could be, I mean, in a way, the way it's interpreted, you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Sorry about that. I got distracted there for a second. No problem. What was it you were saying? I I was saying, you know, what they say, lies, damn lies, and statistics. It depends on how you read this. uh, Interprets how uh, the true meaning of it and whether or not it's accurate or not. Yeah, it's all in how you look at the data. and uh, I've never yet found a study that I really like. It's like they always seem to leave out something or they interpret something a strange way or something like that. Yeah. I like the real studies, you know, the one that lasts like, I don't know, three to five years from following someone, um, you know, throughout a big chunk of their lives and then compiling that data, then making something useful out of it. Yeah. Well, the thing is anymore, it's like, are these the real results? real results, or did 4chan hack the results? <laughs> yeah, I also want, like, um, these people to stop doing questionnaires and have one of those, like, uh, alpha wave caps on, and they can actually tell if they're having violent thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who would want to... Assuming they that's what they did, which I don't think they did, that's... I don't know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, if I had to wear one of those things on my head with all kind of wires and everything, that would be what would make me mad, is all the wires and everything. Not Mm. the games. Well, if they hooked up those wires to the games. Hmm? 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 Mm. (laughs) But speaking of games, apparently there's lots of news coming out, or starting to slowly come out, about Windows Phone 7 series and the fact that it'll run XNA and Silverlight. Yeah, that's a lot more portable than uh, 
than a skull cap of wires. Uh, you can actually take it with you and um, hook up to Xbox Live. Yeah, this, there was two stories about this. There was essentially this story, which is apparently kind of came out a little bit ahead of GDC, and they're supposed to be more about it next week, and that for developing for the Windows Phone 7 series, it'll be done in Silverlight and XNA, and there's going to be zero backward compatibility between Phone 7 series and any Windows Mobile device. And then yeah. there's another story that was, oh my gosh, there's a game that can be played on the phone, on your computer, and on the Xbox. It's like, okay, this has got to be like a planted story, because... That's basically kind of the whole purpose of XNA, something that they've promoted since the very beginning of XNA, and that you can make a game that works on either your PC or your Xbox or your Zune or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of old news, but it's just one of those things where, like, wow, they have the internet on computers now. Um. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it when I, I'm seeing this story absolutely everywhere. It's like, okay, even the real simple tutorials on... Be- XNA for beginners or whatever are showing you how to do this where you can can support control schemes from the Xbox and the PC at the same time or whatever. It, it didn't make a whole, whole lot of sense why it was getting near as much press as it was. I figured Microsoft must be borrowing Apple's PR agency for the day or something. <laughs> Good call. Well, yeah. Well, at least more people are understanding and I'm... One thing I'm extremely surprised about is how Microsoft is able to milk the press for Windows Phone 7 series or whatever it's called from its announcement till now. I think I think I hear something steadily at least once a week about um, how their uh, you know the progress of the platform and what is it going to be on and launch partners and new aspects of uh, how the OS works. Um, they're doing a really good job with just making sure it's front and center in everyone's face, especially for you know how long we have runway wise till we actually see a device. Yeah, they've they've done a pretty good job getting news out there, and it'll be even more next week when we have mix. But I don't know. I've, I've got a feeling that the marketing department was asleep when they came up with the Windows Phone Seven series name. <laughs> yeah. They they want to have Windows Phone, but they actually in this article they even restate that how they will uh, how other partners will still launch with Windows uh, Mobile six five devices and how they'll continue to support them for years to come. Yeah, that, considering this is basically a clean break from six point five, I don't see why they're even messing much with six point five or six point or whatever anymore. Just kind of say, okay, basically treat it like Vista or Windows ME. Okay, this wasn't the best experience. It's in the past. Forget about it. We're on something else now. You know what would be awesome? They'll never do this in a million years, but what would be awesome is if they open source 6.5. That way people who have old devices can still tinker with it, and since there's no backwards compatibility with 7 devices, they have no threat of it eroding their future uh, profitability in their app store or uh, licensing it to device makers. Um, but me, I have a 6.5 device, and I would like for someone like XDA developers to tinker with it and try to make it 
uh, a little bit more optimized than it is currently, and so I would feel less abandoned at the moment. Yeah, that would be an interesting move. I'm sure that it would never happen. But speaking of interesting things, apparently some numbers come out from the Winter Olympics online, and they're bigger than I was expecting, but I'm still not that impressed. When I'm reading this article, it's about how many streams and how many simultaneous uh, data feeds there were uh, that was uh, served up by Akamai. Um, and I think that's this is more of a PR release from Akamai than anything else than about the Winter Olympics. Um, you can see all the stats listed at about um, you know like 30 concurrent live streams, 374 gigabits of video, gigabits per second of video. Uh, delivering more than 12 petabytes uh, to the customers. So this is more of a, to me, it's like a really good PR department for Akamai saying how well they did worldwide, then saying how popular um, the actual Olympics were as in being effective as a streaming uh, medium. Yeah, I've, I've assumed that the numbers would be a little bit bigger than this, but at the same time, considering the fact that there was, I don't know how many... Couple, several thousand hours of, um, I think it was like, I can't even think now. Five thousand hours. It says here in the article. No, of content that wasn't live. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like there's only two hundred and twenty hours worth of content that was live, and there was several thousand hours of content that wasn't live streamed, and basically. As far as Akamai did, it was basically only 5,000 hours of live and on-demand video, which I'm, I'm thinking there was like 7,000 hours or something like that of video from the Olympics or maybe more than that. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get, they didn't reach what their potential could have been, and the fact that most of it wasn't live when a lot of people would want to watch it live instead of on-demand, I, I think that was kind of shooting themselves in the foot there. Yeah. You, uh, although that that's more NBC's fault than their Akamai or whoever did the streaming for them. So what I'm understanding you're saying is the takeaway is these numbers are impressive, but they could have been far more impressive if they actually had the content people wanted to watch when they wanted to watch it. Right. Yeah. I, I would have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, they there was a lot of potential there, but I I don't even remember where what what it was that I was listening to. They said that even the um, national news stations or whatever in Canada couldn't broadcast any video or anything from the Olympics because NBC had complete exclusive rights on it and there wasn't a thing they could do about it. And as long as NBC keeps that tight of reins on it, they're not going to be seeing the results that they could be seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm just afraid that the people upstairs, you know, the head in the head office, look at these numbers and say, wow, look how successful we were. Um, and choose to roll out the same strategy going forward, which would be a huge disservice to their uh, viewing public. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll learn their lesson and in a couple of years. But yeah, hopefully we won't be using Internet Explorer 8 in a couple of years because apparently it doesn't even work with a whole lot of sites now. 
Yeah, so theoretically, it's not even really Internet Explorer 8 working with these 2,000 sites. It's their compatibility mode, mode uh, which is kind of an IE7 rendering engine. Yeah, in IE8, there's like three, I think there's like three different rendering engines based on how much um, standards support you want. It's like there's like a hyper standards mode, and then there's like a high, medium to high standards mode, and then there's like a compatibility mode for everything that's kind of more focused on working for like IE6 and 7 and stuff like that. Basically, it's one big mess, and because of it, sites like PayPal, Amazon, Apple, BBC, and even MSN don't mm-hmm. render properly in IE. I gotta say, my favorite is Quirks mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's kind of. I'm guessing that must be the whole what's made to be compatible with IE six and IE seven kind of a thing. Uh, I know I'm probably going to be shot for saying this, but I think IE9 has some really big potential if if they fully optimize it on the Windows platform. The one advantage they have over all the other browsers is that they're multi-platform, and if they use DirectX acceleration, direct draw, direct compute, even GPGPU rendering to all to speed up the engine, it could be the fastest browser on that platform, especially if it leverages some of the low-level hardware um, that it has access to. Um, that's my own, that's my divergence, but take take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, I know it's supposed to be having more in terms of GPU support and stuff like that. I know they announced a little bit of it at PDC, and that was among the things that they talked about, and they gave some really impressive numbers and stuff, but I'm not sure that it could even still compete in terms of speed with something like Opera, which just released 10.5 last week and even blows Chrome out of the water. Yeah, that's true. But um, I'm just kind of like, Microsoft is on a tear right now. Uh, They are releasing some really cool products. And, I mean, we talked earlier about the Courier uh, coming out. Um, And then we're talking about Windows Windows, uh, Mobile 7. It, it blew the pants off a lot of people who were expecting so much less from Microsoft. Uh, I'm just saying, and I've been playing with uh, Office 2010. It looks good. Windows 7. They're on a roll right now. Um, and I'm waiting for them to fail because, you know, it's Microsoft. But so far, so good for them. Yeah, I've played a little bit with the uh, beta for Office, and... I really don't see much in the way of difference other than a small aesthetic difference between that and 2007. I don't, I haven't yet come across anything that makes me go, ooh, I must upgrade. The social media integration is what, personally, I find extremely exciting. Um, the contact handling, um, I've, I, I, I think that is greatly improved, especially with someone who actually utilizes their contacts heavily uh, with like putting in pictures and, and email addresses and stuff like that. And being able to integrate LinkedIn data is going to be awesome. Uh, uh, the only issue is they currently, it doesn't sync with Windows Mobile, um, but hopefully they'll have that fixed before they're released. Um, but uh, I've had better responsive responses, responsiveness 
less crashes, less waiting for application to respond. It's it's a lot more rock solid um, in terms of reliability. Well, that's good. I'll have to play with it more. Most of the time I rely on Google Docs because whenever I'm doing like word processing and stuff, it's basically for school. And I don't know if it's a pro- an issue with something like Microsoft Word or whatever, or if it's an issue with the submission system on the school's website. But whenever I submit something from I, that I copy and paste from Word, it ends up coming with all of this metadata describing fonts and all kinds of garbage mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be in there. Whereas yeah. I don't have that problem if I'm copying and pasting from Google Docs. Yeah, that's 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 always been a problem, especially if you copy into WordPress. Uh, if you could definitely see those problems there. Yeah, that that's why I haven't used Office too much in the past, basically ever since I got out of high school, pretty much. But uh, I, I think if they fix that, then I'd be a big Office fan. But uh, I'll definitely check out some of the social features of it to see how they would benefit me. But as of right now, the jury's still out on whether or not I'll buy the upgrade. Yeah. And actually, the social features aren't rolled out in the beta yet, but they supposedly should be soon. Um, they still haven't made that connector correct for 2010 64-bit. Hmm. Well, speaking of Chrome or Google products, apparently Google's Chrome has gained on Firefox and IE. And for the first time in a very long time, Firefox has actually lost market share. Yeah. And the question is, is this uh, also including Chrome Mobile, is what I'm wondering. Uh, With uh, the spat of Android devices gaining in popularity, I wonder if it's making a dent uh, uh, in any of the numbers worldwide. Yeah, that I don't know. I haven't heard much in the way of overall Android numbers in quite some time, so I'm not sure if that's the case or... Uh, I think it's just good marketing by Google that seems to be getting Chrome out there more and more. And I'm sure the whole Windows um, ballot, browser ballot thing in the EU is definitely going to be helping. I know, um, uh, see if I can bring up the story. I had it up earlier. Mm, What did I do with it? Where that, um, maybe I don't have an, oh, yes I do. Where apparently, at least for Opera, their downloads from Belgium, France, Britain, Poland, and Spain have tripled ever since the Microsoft browser ballot started going into effect. Which is good. Uh, Competition is always good. Um, That's why I'm happy to see Chrome gaining market share, too. Um, It should refocus. uh, They say it's just like Firefox refocused Internet Explorer. Chrome should refocus Firefox. And hopefully Opera will refocus Chrome. Um, And then we all have this wave of of one-upmanship that should benefit all users. Yeah, have you used the new Opera yet? Nope. And I don't see why I would. I, I've i been a big fan of Opera for years, but there, especially up, up until now, there has been no real reason that I've wanted to go from Firefox to Opera. 
just because there's several extensions that I rely upon for uh-huh. the most part, like tree style tabs and stuff like that. But the new version of Opera is so good that I don't really so much miss my extensions like tree style tab. It, I mean, th- that's the only reason we keep me from Opera too is just um, one. I need, I need, I need my plugins. I heard, it's, I hear it's blazing, blazingly fast, and I use Opera on my mobile phone. Uh, it's, it's just that you know, I, 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 I'm using the web that I'm used in a way that I'm used to, and I just don't want to relearn. It's not, the speed is not worth it. Yeah, the speed is noticeable. The interface isn't so much like the interface that you've seen in the past. It's gone. It's gotten to be much more where it looks a whole lot more like Chrome. And it also supports Windows 7's Arrow Peak, which is really nice. And it there's just and and you can still make it look a little bit more like a normal browser rather than like a Chrome-ish looking browser. But now it has something that's pretty equivalent to the Awesome Bar in Firefox. And it's gotten to be a really good browser and and like I said I've been a big fan for years but it's finally truly taken over as my default browser on all my machines yeah I mean, just at the there's the same reason why I won't go to Chrome is the same reason why I, I don't want go to Opera is that I don't want to go to a website and it not work the good thing without fi- with Firefox it's been along so long that even uh, people who code specifically to IE also specifically put and uh, workarounds for Firefox. They work on. They test on those two environments. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just don't want to get to a point where something just doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and it's my browser and it's the problem. Even though that you know the code on the website's not done, standards compliant, and I'm hoping HTML5 will fix all of this, and so it wouldn't matter what kind of browser I use. But until then, I'm just going to stick with what's tested and what works, and you know whether is the fact of the primary browsers for the coders. Yeah, um, I'm not exactly positive, but I think Opera's actually been around longer than Firefox has. I believe so, because they were the first with tabs. Yeah, and from the beginning, Opera's been far more about standards before anybody else ever was. Yes. Up until everybody started going WebKit, they were Mm -hmm. essentially the best when it came to standards and stuff like that. And then when everybody kind of moved to WebKit, then they kind of fell back a little bit. And up until this version, you'd still notice a number of rendering issues on some sites. The site that seemed to stick out the most for me was like DirecTV. wouldn't render right at all. Um, WordPress wouldn't have the rounded corners because apparently it didn't... The Java whatever the rendering engine was didn't support the radius command and stuff like that. Now that is all fixed in the new version. I haven't... The only... There's only been one issue that I've noticed with it, and that's that it seems to have issues with Silverlight. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I haven't noticed a single issue with it, and it's only crashed on me once. Yeah. Well, as I said, I don't think... I think it's a fine browser. Um, I'm saying... Web web developers, when they get standard compliant, and it's more prevalent than it is now, that's when I'll be more apt to move from browser to browser. So the problem is not the browsers; the problems are the websites. Yeah. 
Well, I just realized we're kind of running a little short on time, not too bad, so we probably better move along to the next story, where apparently 27% of e-reader owners regret not having waited for the iPad. Yes, um, but these owners, they said, or as of February 27th, but these e-reader uh, owners, they didn't say how long they had their e-reader. So they could be three years old and say, oh, I wish I were <laughs> waited for the iPad. Or they could have been a year old saying, I wish I waited for the iPad. Um, so without that, I mean, they might be, you know, if they purchased it, let's say two weeks before the survey, it would hold more water for me. But it's saying basically that uh, it doesn't give a time of how long they own their e-reader before. Or uh, it, I also didn't see a breakdown of what e-reader they had because it could be just some some crummy, you know, you know, Taiwanese piece of crap or something. Yeah, I, I believe I saw something. Yeah, I believe it's the uh, second chart on the page, basically kind of predicting a little bit in terms of future market share of people who plan on buying e-readers, basically what they're planning on buying in the next 90 days. 40% of those are people planning on buying the iPad, 28 plan on buying the Kindle, 6% plan on buying the Nook, and a whole 1% want to buy the Sony Reader. Yeah, so this was, once again, these are people who own e-readers, but it doesn't say what e-reader they already have. Um, so it could no, be a case of the... Uh, no, that's um, who's planning on buying an e-reader in the next 90 days. So you're saying it's not the, the surveyed? Yeah, it, it's not the people that already own one. It's the people that are looking to get one. Mm. It says looking to buy one over the next 90 days. Not necessarily, does it say that they were not previously owners? So I thought yeah. it was the same survey, the same respondents. Yeah, that I'm not clear on now that you point that out. Yeah, so I think it's the same respondents, and the there's a breakdown here saying, yeah, the second paragraph, 40% expected to have an iPad uh, in that period. and But one of these things is the iPad is the one thing that people don't have. So it's still kind of romanticized. Um, mm -hmm there's still not a lot known about how it actually works as an e-reader or as a web browser, which uh, only all the stuff that I do know, because the number one usage model of the iPad from these respondents is to surf the web. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think with Sony having only 1% of people interested in buying it in the next 90 days, do you think it's time to, for them just to get out of the market completely? Um, I just think that they have the patent of uh, as their device gets older, it's less fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's Sony. <laughs> yeah, it, they, they have Sony is not really a name you really associate with too much with e-readers. Yeah. Well, they never had the marketing behind it. They never had the marketing behind it. They, already, they always had the best device, uh, as in readability. Um, and, but you know how Sony is. They're too locked down. They're not as open. There's not a there's not an open for different formats, and um, they tout their devices as being the most important instead of their users. And until they change that model and try to come from an angle of, I always think of Sony as in they build a device and then they sell a device instead of they listen and they give the device that people are requesting. It's mm -hmm. more like they have a device and they're telling you why you should buy their device. Um, and, and that's just the wrong way of going about it, and I think that's what's reflected here. Yeah, and that's essentially why 
they basically lost to the iPod. Mm-hmm. But anyway, quickly hit on the last story because now we are really kind of running late here. Uh, apparently, notebooks and iPad-like tablets are going to make up 70% of the PC market by 2012. Yeah, when you combine those two together, that's 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 why you can get such a big number. Yeah, at first I was kind of surprised by that number. Then I then it mentioned that there's are that fifty five percent of the market is basically already notebooks as it is. So to say that that's going to keep increasing, and tablets are going to help that increase, and that the desktop is going to continue to slowly go away, I think that it's just kind of Obvious. Yeah, this is this is the trend that people buy laptops instead of desktops anymore, um, unless they're a business, and uh, desktops have a tendency not to walk off as much as uh, laptops do. Um, but this is also going to be a bleak uh, forecast for the add-in market: uh, new um, upgraded hard drives, upgraded discrete video cards. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's what this is pointing to because usually those are aimed at desktops and desktop uh, upgrades. Yeah. Well, clearly I'm the exception to the rule because I just spent twenty five hundred bucks on a new gaming desktop. Yes. But you're you're part of the thirty percent. Yeah. Anyway, that would be all of our stories, and we also have our tips of the week this week. There, I have I only managed to come up with two of them this week. First one being six critical WordPress plugins you should have installed, including WP Super Cache. So that way, if your site ever gets slashed, audited, or dug, you'll have a whole lot better chance of actually staying up during that time. Uh, Akismet, which is great for spam detection, which I believe pretty much comes defaults on most WordPress installs anyway. Then there's WP Spam Free, which I never have installed yet, but I've been meaning to check it out, I guess. Apparently it helps... Um, it eliminates the need for traditional CAPTCHA, but can still t- detect if it's a person or a machine spamming your blog. Then there's Google's XML sitemaps generator, so that way you can hopefully get a little bit better in terms of search results. The all-in-one SEO pack, which I use. I'm not exactly sure how good it does for me, but it seems to do an okay job if you're looking for a little bit better SEO. And then there's WP Page Navi, which helps you improve the navigation on your site. Then the second link is how is saving water damage books, documentation, or documents and photos by putting them in the freezer. To kind of figure out how that works, check those links out in the show notes. Like You can find all of our other stories at globalgeeknews.com. Again, don't ch- forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. And please, please, please send us feedback. Either stick it in the comments, send it to me, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, or you can always Twitter me. I am at globalgeeknews and at pcnerd37. And you can even send them to Wesley, who's at Wesley83 on Twitter. And I think that's pretty much it for this week. Can you think yeah. of anything? Uh, yeah, so just remi- reminder, we're going to have a hiatus next week. We won't, be, we won't have a show, uh, but look for us the week after. 
Yeah, unless I can come up with something special while at Mix next week, there will be no show, but there will be tons of Mix coverage on the blog, so don't forget to subscribe to the blog, subscribe to the podcast, and tell everybody you know about the show and the blog, and tell them to subscribe, because we need as many subscribers as absolutely possible. But anyway, we will see you guys next week. Later. Later.